Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I'm here this morning with um, mortgage professional Jeremy Devaney with Fairway Independent Mortgage. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I almost, um, you switched companies a few years ago, so I got nervous that that wasn't the right No, Fairway Independent Mortgage. Fairway is is who you're with now and very happy with them from what I understand. Somewhere yeah. around here. Thank you for being here. Jeremy's been on the show a few times. We, we always have um, good conversations. I do apologize. We're pre-recorded this morning, so we cannot take live um, callers. But if you have questions for us, we will certainly give out our contact information. You can always find me at McNamaraFinancial.com and find Jeremy at? DevaneyMortgage.com, D-E-V-A-N-E-Y, Mortgage.com. Perfect. Um, do you want to just spend a couple minutes background on you, how long you've been in the business? Sure. That'd be great. Wonderful. Yeah. yeah. So I, I came to the mortgage business after a, a decade in investment banking and consulting. Mm. Um, it was one of those stories where I spent a lot of time coming back to family events and you know high school events and bumping to friends and family who asked me what I was doing with my life and not really being able to relate to what I did on a day-to-day basis and becoming increasingly frustrated with my commute and oh, yeah. work, work-life yeah. balance. And yeah. Finally said, something's got to give. I want to be able to work in the community that I live and I want to mm-hmm. be able to work with people that I surround myself with and love and care about. And uh, I, at that point, I was focused on institutional clients. So for me, making the switch to working with friends, family, neighbors, it, it was really a, a natural fit. And mm-hmm. 
I've loved it ever since. You're a people person, Jeremy. Plus, you get to spend more time <laughs> with your two adorable little boys, so um, well, so that works out. We've got the third on the way, and that probably wouldn't have been possible if I had stayed in the lifestyle <laughs> I was working in. So, yes. You know. Well, congratulations again. Thank you. Um, all right. So before the show, you were just saying how crazy busy you are that the spring market has already hit. So I didn't know if you just wanted to touch on that for a minute and yeah. um, what people should be if people are thinking about. Uh, buying in the spring market, uh, I guess, or selling, which would potentially lead to buying, mm -hmm, which would involve mm -hmm. a mortgage professional, um, what they need to be thinking about, what they should be doing now, even if they haven't found that property. Do you want right, to just yeah. um, so it, touch it, on that a bit? It's only late February, and many people that are thinking about buying in the spring market haven't even really picked up the phone yet or started thinking about it. And that's the large majority of clients. They're thinking, you know, April is the right time frame for them to get yep. things moving. Well, I've been writing pre-approvals nonstop for the last three days wow. because we don't have snow on the ground. The right. weather's been relatively good. The housing market's still tight, so there's people that are still shopping from last year okay. that weren't able to successfully find homes last okay. year. Yeah, and so we've run into this issue where it's not really an issue. It's a, it's a good problem to have. There's lots and lots of buyers already active in our market who put in pre-approvals in place at the end of last summer or the beginning of the fall and have been shopping all winter. And they're, they're just starting to pull the trigger. So if you're sitting on the sidelines, if you're thinking about purchasing a home this year, yeah. it is never too early to get started. And I would really urge you to put those balls in motion now, how, especially. How long looking. do pre-approvals no, no. pre last? So generally speaking, it, they have to be updated every 30 days because your documents go stale at certain points. Okay. You know, your pay stubs yeah. have to be refreshed. Your bank statements have to be wow, refreshed. Wow, 30 days, not that long. No. And yeah, but things are moving quickly in the real estate market. They're moving so, very yeah. quickly. But one, one thing to really keep in mind is some people will, if you get an online pre-approval, they'll advertise as being active for 90 days. And that's really based on the standard credit report. Um, credit reports are active anywhere from 90 to 120 days. Okay. And so usually that's the backbone of your pre-approval. But if they're not updating your bank statements and your uh, pay stubs and you know looking at your tax returns as you're filing them right now, yeah. things could change for you in your financial picture right. without your lender being aware. So you want to make sure that you're in high touch with that lender that you're working with and you want to make sure that if there's any changes in that financial picture, they know about it early and often. Does a pre-approval, I haven't bought a house in several years, so I'm forgetting this. A pre-approval comes with a rate lock or not necessarily? No, rate lock That's different? typically is only done once you've made a commitment to move forward with your purchase and sale. Okay. So oh, okay. pre-approval takes you through the offer phase. So you get your pre-approval, you go out house hunting, you mm -hmm. make an offer. Once you get accepted, then you open up escrow and you do your home inspection, and at that point, you should consider rate shopping if you're going to rate shop. If you've already made a commitment, if you like the level of service your lender is giving you and you, you really like the relationship that you have and you're happy with your rate, it works for you and your financial yeah. goals, then at that point, you start putting in the final pieces. And as you make the decision to move forward with your purchase and sale, then the bank goes then out and lock. locks the interest rate. Okay. Because there's actually a physical transaction that the bank executes on the backside okay. that consumers are unaware of. We go out into the market we secure that interest rate financially. Oh, okay. Um, oh, I had a question for you, Jeremy. Yeah. Oh, you mentioned um, rate, rate shopping. Is that something you do or you meant like if someone was going to contact a different 
mortgage professional or a bank or is that, is that what you meant by that? So when, when I use the term rate shopping, it's usually uh, against competitive banks. So okay. internally though, because we're, we're an independent bank institution at Fairway, what happens is we have lots and lots and lots of loan programs. We don't just have Bank of America loans or Santander loans. We have the whole entire world at our disposal. We're not brokers. Right. We okay. do everything in house. Okay. Whereas a broker just takes your application and shops it around. Okay, actually, that was going to be my next question. Like, what's the difference between working with you, working yeah. with a broker, who I, which I guess you're not, sure. and walking into a bank? Like, so, if I walked into Bank of America and looked and asked for a mortgage, it's an every awesome time question. I walk into Bank of America, they ask me if they, if I want a mortgage. <laughs> and if you have a bank relationship already with a bricks and mortar bank, whether it's Capital yeah. One or Ally or Santander, Bank of America. They all have a relationship banker that sits in the front, yeah. and their job is to go through all those accounts every day and figure out who might I be able to get a mortgage to. Right, um, and they have their own proprietary products. Exactly. So, so you can So I don't mean to say this is a, a bad thing, but you you can't sell a Bank of America mortgage because they have their own product. Or not true. Oh, okay. All right. So it's interesting with the independent banks. We lend our own money. So what happens is after the transaction. Big institutions like Wells Fargo and Chase and uh, BB&T and Citi and Santander, they'll buy our loans off of our books and service them because we can originate those loans. We can we can execute the loan more cheaply than they can internally. Really, we don't have all the overhead that they have. I always wondered why why mortgages get sold immediately. So we have to replenish it, the funds. We have to be able yeah. to you know yeah, we lend okay. it. And we package it into that security, and then we turn around and, and we sell it off to whoever is going to do the servicing, and we take that money back in house, and we make another loan with it. And so hmm. it's the way that we're able to replenish those funds. How large is Fairway? Fairway is the second largest lender in the country. Oh. We actually were the number one lender for FHA mortgage products and USDA mortgage products last year. Okay. So then, what's the difference between you and a, and a broker then? So a broker only takes an application. They don't underwrite the product. Okay. They don't close the product. They're not funding it with their own cash. They literally take the application and basically shopping it around to somebody like they walk Fairway it around to every or, bank they okay. know and say, "Hey, who can do this? And in, in what's your rate?" Okay. And so the difference is, I have full control over my process. Okay. So from the minute you contact me to well, well after we close, I'm your primary contact point. Right. So that's our value proposition is. Even when we sell your servicing rights, we have a concierge desk. You can call me and I can put you in immediate touch with my concierge desk and resolve any problem you have. Had a client, uh, you, it's tax season, right? Well, we can talk about this one here. Had a client call me a month ago mm -hmm. and some some reason his servicer hadn't paid his real estate taxes. Oh, that happened to us once. It happens all the time mm -hmm. because towns sometimes have issues with mm -hmm. communication. They're supposed to send a notice to the bank and the bank's then supposed to forward the check onto the town yep. to make the payment. Yeah. And listen, there's how many million? 300 million people in the U.S. and divide it by four, we'll call it, you know, uh, 100 million households roughly probably in the U.S. All of them are owned by somebody, right? So at some point there's a servicing relationship yeah. with 100 million households. Yeah. That's a huge number. Yeah. yeah. You're going to see issues yeah. from time to time. Yeah. Uh, even if it's a small percentage. And so having that relationship when those issues pop up where I can pick up the phone and resolve it for you is a huge differentiator because you're not picking up the phone yourself and calling the servicer and butting your head up against the wall. We can resolve it immediately. Is that only true though until you sell off the mortgage? Nope. 
Nope. So on the backside oh. of our loans, I'm always your contact point. I, in this case, we resolved huh. it in 48 hours and had a check dispersed. Okay. And it was something he had been going back and forth with the servicer on for two weeks and not understanding what was going on. Hmm. And finally, the client called me about something else and we got talking about it. And I was like, cool, I can solve this for you now. You're just a go-getter, Jeremy. This, this I know of you. <laughs> you get it done. Flattery, if you need something, if you need something done, call me or Jeremy. Yeah. Um, we are recording this show. I apologize that this show is being pre-recorded. We're not live on Saturday morning. We are recording the show on February 26th, right? Is that yeah. what today is? Today is the 26th. Interest rates are on mortgages are uh, so are what approximately? So if you're a highly qualified borrower, you you probably can see interest rates in the mid fours, anywhere from a 4.375 okay. on a 30-year product, yeah, uh, 3.75 on, on a 15-year product. Um, if you're borrowing jumbo money right now, so anything up above, uh, call it 687, $687,000 yeah. uh, in loan value, or in some some jurisdictions, it's actually even lower, 488,000 in, in some um, counties. Oh. If you're borrowing above those conforming loan limits and, and you're technically a jumbo or non-conforming borrower, then you can see rates even lower right now. We've got uh, some programs that 30 years, 4125. Jumbo rates are lower than traditional mortgage rates? That so doesn't make any sense to me. It's really interesting. There's a, uh, a tiering of the market, and the way that it happens is Fannie and Freddie and FHA and, and the big government-backed institutions that help facilitate the mortgage market, they create these buckets uh, of mortgages called conforming loans. Yeah. So it's kind of a standardized sure. product yep. and it allows them to go out and sell it in the secondary market to institutional buyers. Okay. Yeah. So they'll package them up and sell them off to Goldman Sachs and Wells Fargo and whoever. Okay. Um, and in order to do that, they need certain parameters to be met so that everything in that portfolio meets a certain standard. And so they have a loan limit by county that's set. And so when the investor, the institutional investor, goes and buys it, they know, okay, this has got this sure. much exposure to yeah. this county and this loan size, and they can kind of get the risk metrics around it. Yeah. Um, That's a lower risk type mortgage, yes. a conforming mortgage. A conforming mortgage, mortgage yeah. is lower risk. Yeah. And Fannie and Highly Freddie is buyers. Yeah. lower risk than FHA. Okay. Uh, FHA has higher debt limits. FHA okay. uh, allows lower credit scores. So you get different parameters on it. Okay. Um, but jumbos are. Jumbos are really to, unique. A, they're a higher. To me, they seem like a higher risk type loan. Although the people obtaining them are higher income, higher net worth, so perhaps they're not a higher risk product. But it just doesn't make sense to me that the interest rates are lower. Sure. So because it's non-conforming and it doesn't have to fit into a package, you see banks doing interesting things with their interest rates and setting up interesting programs to try to attract, to attract those larger networks. loan yeah. sizes. Yeah, I guess. Um, you can do fewer of them and kind of fill up your, your bucket, so to speak, because these banks have to make a certain number of loans. And if they can put more money to work more quickly on the jumbo, then they do. Yeah. So if they can get their, their metrics right and get the risk right, you'll see them making really attractive loans. Um, it just it seems like with the way that real estate prices have moved in this area in the last few years that it must not all be that uncommon for someone to have a jumbo loan in this area of the world, given that your four-bedroom colonial now is what, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand. So, the, yeah. very, very accurate. Yeah. yeah, it's a 
really interesting in our market in eastern Massachusetts. You know, I'm, I'm licensed in Connecticut, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine. Eastern Massachusetts is its own beast. You go county to county and the number of jumbo or non-conforming loan products that you see being issued is mm -hmm. just astronomical. Really? It's one of the most expensive housing economies in the country. Wow. So you really have to be well qualified to win these houses. And you know, while we're talking about lower interest rates on some of these jumbo products, that doesn't come without baggage. There's reserve requirements, mm -hmm. there's other ways that they're making the risk a little bit more palatable for for the, the bank. Okay. You and I, before the show, had talked about how interest rates have come up in the last few years, yeah. not all that much, a couple percent in the last few years. Um, then you were actually saying they, they actually came down recently. I don't know the timing of that. It's really like the last 60, 60 days okay. has been ridiculous. They've come down a little bit. They, they, from there was articles that it's a crash yeah. in the interest rate market. And it has a lot to do with the macro economy and you know the the, the global uh, tenor. You know what's going on with yeah. China plays into it, yeah. and what happens with the stock market plays. The into Fed it. has pulled back from raising interest rates. Yeah. That they said that they would probably. So that makes sense. Um, long, very long term average interest rates though are much higher than they are now. Like it blew your mind the other day. Didn't yeah, I, I actually didn't know. That I hadn't researched it, and I and I. I didn't know what you were going to say, but um, I had asked you earlier, like, let's put this into perspective for people, because I know that interest rates are historically, are, are much lower than they have been historically, like yeah. really long-term averages. I didn't know what the number was, though. Um, but, you know, people have been, that I have chatted with maybe a little bit more hesitant to sell and buy because, because of the difference in the interest rates. We just went through the refi boom mm -hmm. of the last, what, eight years? Yeah. And, um, you know, pretty much everyone... Not everyone, but a lot of people now have interest rates in the threes, very low fours, yeah. and might be hesitant to make a move because interest rates have come up. But compared to very long-term averages, interest rates are still really attractive. Yeah. So I didn't know the number, but you... So Freddie Mac, the 30-year mortgage issued by Fre Fre excuse me, Freddie Mac, 30-year yep. average of that mortgage note is 7.25%. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So if I, I take you back to my dad's first house in the early 80s, he was 18.5% yeah. interest rate. So although that statistic includes part of the 80s, which at, at which time interest sure. rates were incredibly high. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess if we could find like a 100-year average interest rate number, it would be closer to 5, 6, it, it, you think? You'd be really surprised. I'd be surprised if it was as high as 7. But So it, when you think about it, geek out on finance for a second, right? If you think about I do where, that every day, Jeremy. Where, <laughs> where, where risk risk free rate is today, yeah, and you know, think about whether it's LIBOR, or T notes, T bills. We're we're at an incredibly low period historically, because we've got a stable economy. There's not a lot of risk in our economy, and when we see that, the risk free rate really trickles down low. And when there's volatility and all these other risks going on. You see interest rates really climb back up there and adjust properly. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you go back to the '50s and '60s, interest rates were higher. Mm. Um, if you go back to the '70s, you, you had a whole entire oil market melting down, right? And stagnation, and, and it there was different factors that influenced it then. Mm -hmm. But I think we take it for granted this 
real luck that we've had to be home buyers and work in finance in an industry in a time period where we've got this incredible stability, mm -hmm. uh, despite all, all the global panic or and what you might have in other spheres, whether it's political or geopolitical. Mm -hmm. um, I think financially, our financial markets have just really gone in the last through ten an years anyway. period. Well, yeah. Go back to the 04 to 07 period. I mean, there was a good good run there where mm -hmm. everything seemed smooth. There was mm -hmm. different players at work, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're really fortunate. And I think it's a great... You mentioned, though, that a lot of clients did take advantage of the refi. Yeah. Boom. One, one statistic that we were looking at, though, when we had our conversation the other day, one-third of those that could benefit from a refi... So they have a higher interest rate than the current market rate. One third of those that have a higher interest rate than the current market rate have not taken advantage because they can't, or because that's the they uh, that's the unknown. I'm imagining a lot of those people can't due to the price of their real estate and the more strict underwriting in the mortgage industry. So there, there definitely is that. We've come across clients, especially low interest rates. Now we're looking at a lot of refis mm -hmm. um, who simply are not in a credit position. Their, their FICO mm -hmm. score isn't where it needs to be. Uh, their debt to income ratios are too high. You know, they, they've lived a little beyond their means. And yeah. so there, there's definitely drivers for it, but it's interesting that there's this huge pool and it's a very dollar wise, it's a very, very large pool of loans that hasn't refined. That still haven't, that haven't refined yeah. in the last eight or 10 years. Yeah. I would imagine that with real, I, again, I'm going to guess that most of those are because they can't do the real estate values. Because aren't there certain areas of the country that still haven't much recovered from home dips in real estate? values are at all-time highs. Yeah. It, it, it's really it's yeah. crazy what's going on, especially as you get to the coastal markets, West Coast, yeah, East sure. Coast. Yeah. Uh, the Rust Belt, perhaps, is still struggling. But you see homes really accelerating there as well. Some of my friends who are in mortgage markets in the Midwest just... It's it's a boon. Oh, cool. So still opportunities to be had there for people that haven't refied. Certainly. Talk yeah. talk to me about timeline. Like someone's someone we talked earlier in the show about the spring market, and if someone's preparing or thinking about selling and buying, or maybe they're a first time home buyer, uh, maybe they're downsizing, whatever whatever it is. Talk to me about timeline. How far in advance should they be getting in touch with you before they mm -hmm. are looking at properties? I know it takes a long time to. Um, round up all the documents you need now to get pre-qualified. So what's your ideal timeline? So that's the long pole in the tent. Okay. It, it is it, it, gathering your personal documents and being prepared personally. Uh, if you come to my team and say, I want to get pre-approved, and you have your documents in hand, we can execute it in under an hour. Oh, okay. Um, but you have to have all your documents in hand. This is my team. This is your you know exclu returns, exclusively your speaking about yeah. how we operate. Uh, most institutions, it can take them anywhere from two or three days to a couple of weeks, depending on how they operate. Okay. Uh, we have some really neat technology tools that allow us to fly through it if, if you're ready. You know, the document stuff is really where people get hung up. Yeah. But it's if you're going through tax season right now, you should have just That's about true. everything at your fingertips. For, for the last year, but how far back do you guys go? Two years? Two so tax years? It's two tax years. So right now where we're in this weird period just before 
tax filing for most folks. Mm-hmm. Well, what we're generally looking for is to establish an income chain. And by that, I mean we look at your most recent two pay stubs. Mm-hmm. And that tells us how much you're currently earning. Mm-hmm. We, then, we then go back and we look at your most recent uh, two W-2s. In this case, we'll look at the three because of where we are in mm. the year. So 2016, 2017, 2018. Okay. And then we'll look at the most recent two tax years. So again, we're in this weird period where some people have filed, some people some haven't. Some people haven't done 18, yeah. So we look at 2016, 2017, and if you filed, then we need to see the 2018s as well. Okay. So that gives us the full chain. And then, you know, there was some stuff that happened in 07, 08, and the regulatory changes that came out of that after the market crash that we now do other things internally as well to vet the income as we go through our underwriting process, which is later on down the road. Okay. But we, we contact the IRS and your taxes I mean, it, have to match. I guess, yeah, it's surprise. Well, maybe you guys do this, but I guess it surprises me that you guys can't just run a name and a social through a database and find out historic we do. income. And, yeah, okay, do. you do. So that's some of the technology differentiators that okay. we have on my team. Is, but you still need all the documents. Yes. So Come on, Jeremy. <laughs> there, there's, there's stuff that we can do if a client elects to do it yeah. where we can automatically import data. Some clients aren't there technologically yet and don't want to run through those systems. Okay. So there's ways that I have within my uh, application process that you can select to share your bank information with me, where you give me the account and the route, routing number, and I can pull and you directly. The bank. I don't even have to contact them. It, it pulls through a system we have a 60-day report of your bank account. Okay. So you don't have to worry about printing out your PDFs and making sure it's in the right format. Yeah. And, and there's a standard format they need to be in and people I get hung up it. on it. I believe it, yeah. So, so you can grab banking information, you can contact the IRS for gross income? So that, it, that that's right? one that we still have to do in a certain way. Okay. We, verif- we verify with the IRS what you filed for your tax returns in prior years. But we still need to match that to an actual physical tax return. Because we don't trust the IRS database yet? Is that why? Because we don't trust the borrowers coming out of, well, not we, but the regulatory system doesn't trust the borrowers coming out of 07, 08. There was a lot of income manipulation that took place. So people taking their W-2s and editing them in a PDF editor and then emailing them out saying, I make a million dollars, but I'm an underwater basket weaver. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, and... Okay. It, it, they, they committed mortgage fraud, and now we've got all these security checks in place. Yeah. So the pay stubs have to add up to what your W-2s say, and then your W-2s have to match what you reported on the tax returns, and the tax returns have to match something. It's called the IRS, uh, your tax transcripts. Hmm. So they provide us what you filed for taxes. Anything else you can get online? I think so I'm more curious than anything. What is available? We can pull in the, in- the income online. If your HR department participates in work number, work oh. number is a large service provider. Um, if you've got like um, paychecks or yeah. uh, some of the other. Because your payroll HR company is reporting to the IRS anyway. So it's all filtering through some database. In, in usually if you use a large payroll service, then that that information is available. So Boston yeah. Market, if we're talking local companies, if you work for like State Street, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can pull in your income information directly from that. But listen, like, but you you're, still, you're, but the people still need to round up bank statements, yeah. e- even though you can pull some stuff electronically. Yeah. The list of things people need are bank statements, 
So financial account statements. Super easy. Pay sub. I, I want to see your driver's license. I, yeah. I need to know the person sitting across from me is the person applying for the loan. Yeah. Uh, I need to look at your most recent two pay stubs, your most recent two W-2s, your most recent two tax years, and your most recent two months of bank account statements for the accounts from which the deposits are coming. Okay. What about uh, investment accounts? Did you say that one? Only if you're using the investment accounts for the transaction. Okay. So it doesn't factor in at all? It can. You're, okay. Uh, so it doesn't if it's just excess reserve. Like we were talking earlier on some of the jumbo products, mm -hmm. depending on how much money you're putting down, there may be a requirement for three oh, months of reserves okay. or 12 months of reserves. Okay. In some cases, 24 months of reserves. And you can use investment accounts or retirement accounts with retirement accounts, it's weighted to a certain point to take into account Fa transaction taxes, expenses yeah. and taxes yeah. and penalties. Okay. So we can use those without liquidating them, but usually we're documenting those accounts that you're taking your down payment and your cash to close from your prepaids and your Sure, escrows. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that's all real important to have, you know, consolidated down to one account. Yeah. But again, you know, pe people make a big deal out of the documentation. You work in an industry where you give financial advice every day, right? What's When you sit down with a client, your conversation is facilitated. If they can show up and give you, here's my W-2s, here's my bank account statements. The conversations and, are a lot easier when right? people walk in with that information. Yeah. You know, I, you, I need it at some point anyway to, have, to give good advice. So it, same thing. And yeah. that's exactly, yeah. exactly it. You can't yeah. expect me to help you understand mortgage products blindly. I need to understand yeah. your goals and where yeah. you are financially in order to do that. Yeah. Um, Jeremy, let's take a quick break. We'll come back, continue our conversation. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm talking this morning with mortgage professional Jeremy Devaney of Fairway Independent Mortgage. We are talking about all things mortgages today, spring market, interest rates. We're going to talk about taxes in a few moments. We're going to talk about situational appropriateness type stuff. Definitely. I love to have, we love to Definitely. get into those conversations. Um, second properties, maybe we'll touch sure. on that a little bit. Um, we apologize that we can't take call-ins this morning. We are pre-recorded for uh, family reasons and actually work travel reasons for me. I ended up having a last minute um, work trip. So we apologize for that. And we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come right back. <laughs> 